The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This, this is, uh, I love this passage of Scripture. I love them all, but, but there's something about this one that, that um, is good for my heart to spend time in today. So I am going to read this morning's Scripture passage. It is from Isaiah Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're starting a new sermon series. If this is your first time with us, by the way, if we've not met, welcome. I'm really glad that you're here with us in this place. If this is your first time back in church after a season of being away, so glad to have you back here uh, with us this morning. If you're tuning in via live stream and you're just not ready or able to return to in-person worship, know that we love you and we miss you and we also understand uh, that that is the situation for many people. And uh, so you're, you're in our hearts uh, and, uh, and, and I, I count you as my community and I'm so, so glad um, to know that, you, that, you're, that you're staying with us even via the live stream. We're starting a new sermon series here uh, called A Weary World Rejoices. And what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to approach and move through the season of Advent by focusing on passages from the prophet Isaiah. And we're borrowing language here from that beautiful Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, and we're calling this series, A Weary World Rejoices. And the theme of this sermon today, the theme where we're going here, uh, is, is this is a prescript to Advent in which we're going to focus on weariness and the healing power of grace. Are you weary? Are you tired? Can you feel it? I am. I am. And I'll bet that you are too. 
You know, before 2020 happened, people would just kind of casually throw out, that was a rough year. And uh, 2020 is just saying, oh yeah, oh yeah? <laughs> you, just, you just wait, you just wait and see. Listen, I know that this year has been, sorry, I'm gonna move this, has been difficult for everyone. I've never known another year quite like this one in my 47 years on this earth. The entire world has suffered under the same affliction of this pandemic. So we've all suffered under that. And then on top of that, every one of us has had other trials mixed in that are uniquely your own and challenges and sorrows thrown in. Speaking personally, the last few months in particular have just been tough for us, for my family. Um, for me in, 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 in particular, uh, in September, our five-year-old son had open-heart surgery. In October, I contracted COVID-19, and it put me on my back. And then 10 days ago, my father died unexpectedly. I want to thank you for your concern and your outpouring of love to my family. Um, I can't begin to tell you how much it's meant. We've seen every note and every social media comment and like, and we've seen all that stuff, and it's, and it's ministered to us. Um, but this season of suffering, which is what it is, it's a season of suffering, uh, has the effect that it's had on me, that it's having on me, right now is it's deepening my love for Jesus. Um, friends, we, we, can't, we can't love Jesus only when things are going well because that's not loving Jesus. That's loving what Jesus is doing for us. And those are two different things. We have to love him and run to him when we're hurting and when we're grieving, and when we're weary. And the reason we have to run to him in those times is because the hope that we so desperately hunger for is a hope that only he can give. Only he can give it. You're not going to find it anywhere else. During the season of Advent, which begins proper in two Sundays. So two Sundays from now is when Advent officially starts. That's a season where we do a couple of things. We, we remember and we anticipate. We, we remember the first coming of Jesus. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we anticipate his return. We live in a really strange season in history, if you think about it. I'll probably say this every Sunday between now and the end of the year. But we live in this strange window between the first coming of Jesus and the second. Uh, it's a fascinating time to exist. And during Advent, we, we celebrate his first coming. We look forward to his return. And it's a time when we consider and really consider why Jesus came into the world. And Isaiah, the prophet, his words are all about that. His words are all about why Jesus came into the world. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about weariness and the healing power of God's grace by focusing on two key points um, 
uh, or, or kind of thought pegs, if you will, in this. The first is I want to focus on the historical context of this passage. And then I want to focus on Isaiah's encounter with God, what he describes here. So first, the historical context. King Uzziah's death. This passage starts, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, lofty and exalted. This, this mention of King Uzziah's death is, is more than a footnote. It's more than just Isaiah placing what he's about to say in time and space. Because that reference, in the year that King Uzziah died, carried a lot of freight for the people of Judah. Uzziah was a king. He was one of the kings of Judah during a season of great prosperity. He followed the Lord. He served the Lord. But over time, as his kingdom began to prosper, Uzziah began to feel in his heart that the prosperity was something he did. And he began to take credit for the glories of Jerusalem. And his pride ended up being, as it so often is, his pride ended up being his downfall. And that downfall was punctuated by a moment that stung for the people of Judah. It was a moment where he was so confident in himself that he entered the temple of the Lord as the king where only priests were permitted to go And he offered an incense offering, which only priests were permitted to offer. And the priests, they warned him. You can read about this in 2 Chronicles 26, this occasion, this story. And the priests warned him as he's going in, and they said, King, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests. That's for the descendants of Aaron who have been consecrated. But Uzziah wouldn't listen And he made his offering. And God struck him with leprosy, which he had until the day he died. And he ended up having to live in a separate house. He had had to live socially distanced from everyone for the rest of his days, excluded not only from his community, but also excluded from the Lord's temple. It was the last thing he would ever do there. And King Uzziah believed that because he was who he was, he was the king, that he didn't need to concern himself with the holiness of God in ways that other people should. And so, as went the king, so went the people. And the people forsook the Lord too. And now, when we come to this book, when we come to the prophet Isaiah, the people are adrift. They're adrift, they're lost. They're adrift. Friends, pride is so close to us. It's just so close to us. Even the most faithful person can become what King Uzziah became. Sometimes our weariness, you know, where we just feel exhausted from the difficulty of living in this world, sometimes that weariness If we're to take Uzziah as a cautionary tale, sometimes that weariness comes from trying to force a reality that was never promised to us in the first place. 
And it's like we're trying to push a boulder up a hill because we want it to be a certain way. And the Lord never promised it would be a certain way, but that's what we're striving for, and we just get worn down. We try to force a reality that was never promised to us in the first place, like Uzziah thinking that because he was a king, he should get to be a priest too. And all Judah followed in Uzziah's pride and they faced God's judgment as a nation. And then their king died. And the question that they're all asking is, what now? That's where this passage is. That's what's going on. This passage is an answer to the question of a weary nation asking in, in, the, in the wake of the death of their king, what now? And so they cry out, what's, what's coming? What's next? And Isaiah, the prophet that we're going to be studying in this season, is the one who is chosen to tell them. He will be their prophet. What is a prophet? Here's what a prophet is. A prophet is a messenger of God who is set apart to deliver God's word to God's people. When you look in the Old Testament at prophets, they had a role that was parallel to kings as well. We, we know of the prophet Nathan, who confronted King David about his adultery. And Nathan had authority to pointedly address the king because of his role as a prophet. A prophet is somebody who is a messenger from God, set apart to deliver God's word to God's people. That's what they are. And they delivered various messages in the Old Testament, but the form, uh, various forms of messages, but the same basic message was with every prophet. And, and the message was this. This was, if you boil it all down, the message is about the people's desperate need for redemption and God's plan of salvation. That's the message of the prophets. Your desperate need for redemption and God's plan of salvation. And it was a heavy burden for a prophet to carry. It was a heavy burden, and it was an important role because what did prophets do? They proclaimed humanity's sin. They held up a mirror, and they proclaimed God's redemption. But the message that most prophets delivered, that all prophets except for one delivered, was a message that they themselves couldn't actually fulfill. They were just that. They were messengers only. And this sets Jesus apart. It sets Jesus apart from all others because he was both the messenger of God's plan of salvation and he was also the means by which it would happen. And so until the birth of Christ, prophets were only the bearers of God's word. And they were pointing to another who would ultimately fulfill what God had said. But Christ... He brings the word of God to the people and then he also accomplishes the salvation that he and all the other prophets had proclaimed. He's, he's the prophet and he's the message and he's the means of redemption. So that's the historical context of what's happening. This king has died and this, it was a king whose behavior and conduct had really complicated things for the nation of Israel, or the nation of Judah. And they're asking what's next, knowing they're guilty. 
And so I want to look at Isaiah's encounter with God. Because it threads a needle. And it threads a needle in this sense. What, when Isaiah sees what he sees, he's not struck dead. The, the, the mercy of God alone is, is evident in the fact that Isaiah beholds this splendor. And he not only lives to tell about it, but he's sent to tell about it. So let's look at his encounter with God. And as we do this, as we look at this encounter with God, as we look at these verses again, remember this, keep this in mind, that the God we're talking about here has not changed. He's not changed. So Isaiah, he sees the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe fills the temple. It's a picture of unparalleled glory and majesty. And above him stood seraphim, angelic warriors and attendants. And each had six wings. With two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And they all called to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so the host of heaven is responding. The angels are responding to God in awe and reverence and worship. And the foundations of the threshold shake at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's reaction is what I think any of us would have and that is I'm in trouble here. He says, I'm ruined. But the message, because the message of the prophets was Jesus himself, their proclamations were holy utterances. So holy is the message of Isaiah that one of the angels brings coal, a live coal, and touches his lips to purify him because the message that he's going to prophesy is that holy. And so he purifies the instrument that he would use to prophesy his, his mouth. Here's the point I want to make with all this. The promise of hope, the promise of hope that we long for, it always comes in the context of God's glory being revealed. It always comes in that context. We can't separate God's salvation from his glory. We can't. We can't separate his salvation from his glory. The radiance of God is so glorious that even the angelic host shield themselves from it. And their song is this thunderous proclamation, thrice holy, 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 holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at their song, the doorposts of the threshold shake and the place is filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. What he's saying is I'm unworthy to join in the song because I'll ruin its beauty. And he declared the only thing that he could say in response to this display of majesty, and that is, I am ruined, woe to me. May we, may we always declare our own ruin before we trumpet the stain of the rest of the world. Because if we can't, if we can't stand before God and others and say, I so desperately need this, 
then we really have nothing consequential to say about the holiness and the grace of God to others. But the purpose of salvation, the purpose of what's happening, the purpose of what is about to unfold for Isaiah as he's standing there is salvation. And the purpose of salvation is to do what? It's to reconcile. It's to reconcile those who are ruined by sin to their holy creator. That's what's happening here. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. And God's means for that is Christ himself. Without him, we are ruined. With him, we are delivered unto life. This healing being delivered unto life by the redemptive salvation that God himself gives. That's the very promise of the gospel, and it's the reason why we rejoice over the birth of Jesus. So I'm looking forward to that in the next five weeks, six weeks together as we do that. The gospel is real. The work of Christ in the world is real. It's It's finished. He's done what it is that he came to do. I want to conclude by, and and talk about that by way of talking a little bit about what happened with my father. My dad died from complications from surgery 10 days ago. During, During the days and the weeks when many patients begin to regain strength after surgery, in a hospital bed, and it's the strength that builds and accumulates and leads to their release from the hospital. During those days, my my father labored, and he struggled, and he never regained strength. And the last time I saw him, 11 days ago, he was a weary man. And he is in the presence of Jesus now. And in light of this text, here's what I want to leave us with. When I say that my father is in the presence of Jesus now, I am not being sentimental. I do not believe that the event of my father's death is the reason he is with Christ. As though death is the reason a person goes to heaven. It is not, and I will never make my peace with it. My father is in the presence of Jesus because of what our passage tells us. God's majesty and his power are so great that it moves angels to extol his glory and it moves people to plead for his mercy. No person can stand in his presence as we are. Not without mercy. Not without grace. Not without the Lord himself intervening in our wayward hearts and in this broken world. We need to be redeemed. And this is my father's story. He heard the gospel of Jesus. And he bowed his knee in faith and repentance, and he trusted in the finished, redeeming work of Jesus to take people like us of unclean lips 
and reconcile us to God by living in our place and dying in our place and defeating the power of death. The redeeming work of Christ on my Father's behalf is the reason, and it is the only reason why he is in the presence of Christ now. And I can't think of a better reason for a weary world to rejoice than to know that Christ does that for us. Jesus has addressed our sin. He's addressed our rebellion. And he has restored those who trust in him to the glorious God that is described in this passage, who we were meant to stand before unafraid. And he did this because of love. I pray that you would know that mercy and that grace as my father did. And as a result of his faith, as I do. Rejoice in that, weary ones. Let me pray. Lord, you, um, when you show mercy, when you extend kindness, when you do redeeming things in the world, we can be really slow on the uptake <laughs> in terms of understanding the breadth of what you're doing the scope of it, the value of it, the weight of it, the significance of it to our own lives. I love these passages in Scripture where we see angels responding to your presence because every time they are struck with wonder and awe and they are falling over themselves in worship and fear. Not fear as in terror, but reverence for your holiness. And Lord, we confess that we go about our lives, even with you, often as though it's no big deal, <laughs> that you are interested in us, that you're working. But Lord, I pray this Advent season that our joy and our delight would be in you. Lord, I think because you say you work all things together for the good of those who love you, and because you are sovereign in all things, you, I know that you intend, to, you intend a harvest of good to come out of the suffering that we are all experiencing right now in a pandemic and the way that has affected the world, the entire world. Lord, may we not leave this season unchanged, but may we leave this season uh, humbled, uh, hungry for what you have to give us, the restoration that is ours in you. Father, I thank you for the gift of salvation. And I ask, Lord, that you would bring that gift to mind and to bear in the lives of those who don't know you uh, this season. And for those who are wondering about you, that you would bring a clarity of the beauty of your redeeming work in the world. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.